0: You're listening to episode number 30 of Widowcast with Joanne Filomena from Joanne the Life Coach. These are real stories and real experiences of widowhood, both my own story and many other widows I've known and worked with as a life coach. Hello, my friends. Welcome back, listeners. I hope you bear with me on this one, because this morning I'm just inspired to riff again. I have no outline in front of me, really nothing in mind, except maybe to reach back to a few topics that I covered at the very start of this podcast, things that I think are so important to hear, especially when you first become widowed. But first, I want to share a few of the reviews I've gotten recently. You know how much I love that when somebody goes and puts in a review on iTunes. If you look it up in iTunes again, you'll see where it says ratings and reviews. And you can see all the reviews on the show. And you can also click to write a review. And you fill in the number of stars. I love five stars. (laughs) And leave a few comments words of wisdom whatever comes to mind share a little of your story or just put a few words to let others out there know what it is you like about the podcast um, I've had reviews added recently one by Brenda Lamelli, who says Joanne is an excellent coach podcast host I can't wait to listen to more Brenda I can't wait to listen to more of you and for all my listeners I am hoping that Brenda and I can carve out some time together in the direct future so that I can interview Brenda here for all of you. I met Brenda in person when I was out in California. She's also a life coach that she coaches fierce beauty and I love her. I think hearing Brenda's message is something that is very important to all of us. Especially for widows who have just had not only their certainty shaken, which I spoke about on their la- on my last episode, but had their confidence shaken and really have gone down that rabbit hole. I think hearing Brenda's words on creating fierce beauty and appreciating your own fierce beauty it's something that would help all of us so I hope to bring that to you in the future I also have a review left by Joan Mickledon saying great idea some routines don't work you're right I'm um, oh she left the review on the episode that talks about basic needs and priorities And she says, I'm not a widow, but I sure wish men I've met on dating sites who are widowed would listen to this too. I'm sure widowers go through the same things. They just don't reach out for support like women do. They think time will just pass, but they need to process it out so they can be a whole person in their next relationship. This is so true, Joan. And I confess, I really do direct this podcast more towards women than men widowers, simply because I started this podcast just to share my own experience of becoming a widow. It's hard for me to relate it to the male point of view because I am a woman, though I have talked to widowers, I'm in some groups with widowers. It's shocking to me how deeply this goes with men. And I think you're right. It's because men don't openly process the same way women do. They think they're just going to buck up and time will heal. But boy, for some of them, they really go into a dark, dark place when they've lost their spouse. For them, it is just as difficult. They're just as shaken as we are. Plus, they have that societal pressure that we still have on men to stand up and be strong and to not show how shaken they are. I mean, I know as women, we do it. As widows, people come up and say, oh, how are you doing? And we say, oh, I'm fine. Really? No, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, We have that that instinct to respond that way when on the inside, we know we're not fine. We know that there's been a hole punched right through our guts when you suddenly become a widow, but we always respond, I'm fine. And I think the pressure for men to act like they're this tower of strength and they've got this is even more that they're going to respond. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, I'm taking care of things, man, they're not. It's just as hard. I would love to hear from some widowers out there. If you are a man and you listen to this podcast, email me or leave me comments on the Facebook reviews. My email is joanne at joannethelifecoach.com. I would love to get more input from men who have lost their spouses. Maybe I'll see if I can get someone for an interview too. Because I do think it would be helpful to put that out there as well. I have an interview by Thomas O'Grady, Ph.D. It's wonderful to hear the enthusiasm of Joanne. Every episode have all great points, very touching stories, and inspiration to all widowed. Thank you, Tom. I so appreciate that. And the most recent review touched me because it's a widow that found the podcast to listen to. It's Vicki1955. She says, thank you, Joanne, for doing this. My husband passed away six months ago. Like you, I was shocked there were no podcasts to help me process what had happened. This weekend was especially emotional. I looked again on iTunes without much hope of success, but then I found you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Wow. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, Vicky, for leaving that review. And I am so sorry that your husband passed away, I am delighted that you found the podcast and that it helps you identify with what you're going through. And that's the whole thing. That's why I started this podcast. My coaching widows has kind of grown out of it. I didn't start it as part of my life coach business. I'm a certified professional life coach and a certified professional weight loss coach. And the focus of my coaching business has always been for the weight loss part of the business. I love coaching weight loss. It's something near and dear to my heart, but I wanted to put Widowcast out there just straight from my heart because when Jim died, I went and looked on iTunes for a podcast because I love listening to podcasts and I wanted to see if there was something That talked about becoming a widow. What happens to you when your spouse suddenly dies? I was just struggling. I was in such a fog and I really needed to hear from someone else and there was nothing on iTunes at that time. It was December 2014. It stayed in my mind for a long time that there was absolutely nothing out there for widows to listen to. Finally, at the beginning of this year, in January, when I passed the first year of being a widow, I decided that I needed to do a podcast, and I didn't know how to do a podcast. I'll be honest with you, it's not like I just said, oh, I'm going to do a podcast, and I had all the technical skills to create this. I didn't. I had to learn the technical skills. I had to buy a microphone from Amazon. The first microphone I bought was horrible. (laughs) I ended up getting a different microphone and sending that one back. So I was getting the equipment, this little mechanical arm I have, my microphone on, learning how to use the software that records my voice and trying to learn how to edit that. If you go back to my first few episodes here on Widowcast, I think you'll find definitely a difference in the sound quality. It's getting better and better as I go along, as I learn more about editing the soundtracks, making them sound a little bit better, nicer to listen to. So it was quite a learning curve, and it took me... um, A good month before I could turn on the microphone and even do the first podcast, even with the questionable audio quality (laughs) that was there for it. But it's what I wanted to do, and I wanted to do it from the heart. And I started out just sharing my own experiences and telling my story. And I think that's probably the most important part of this. I bring my coaching skills into play a lot on these episodes especially these later episodes because I have started coaching widows that who have reached out to me through the podcast and I found that coaching them was extremely successful for them and extremely rewarding for me besides being a weight loss coach I have become a widow coach and I've incorporated some of the techniques and tools that I use as a coach to work with widows. But I think the most important part of it is just sharing my own story because, especially, a new widow just needs to hear that somebody else is going through some of the same stuff they are. In the beginning, you think you're a little crazy and you really question some of your own thoughts and emotions and feelings because they don't fit into the mold. We see the movie screen widows or the TV show widows, and all of a sudden we're thinking things that we think are awful for a widow to think. Or we develop that gallows humor. Every one of us has it. <laughs> I'm telling you, at some point you develop gallows humors that only other widows can identify with. People outside of our circle of widows might be shocked to hear some of the things that we can come out with. Very funny, trust me. But you have to have dealt with death and worked your way through it to be able to laugh at it sometimes. All part of the mangle of emotions we go through as widows. When Jim first died, I can remember questioning things, questioning things about myself. When I didn't cry initially, I thought, wow, I'm really broken. Or, Did I really love him? Was it all just this vivid dream of being so in love with this man for over 20 years? I didn't realize that I didn't initially cry because I was in a state of shock. And it took me about 48 hours to start to pull out of that deep, deep state of shock before I cried. It was just a really weird experience. I was calling others to let them know Jim had died and they were sobbing on the phone. And I I was not crying. And I thought, am I so cold? Am I so cold that I can sit here and make these phone calls? And these people are all breaking down. And I'm not. But that's how it was for me. Well, plus it was that very first night that I was making the phone calls. Jim passed away. Gosh, It was like only within an hour's time. We had been in the kitchen talking while he made cappuccino. I heard him fall upstairs, hit the ground. I went upstairs, dialed 911, tried CPR. EMS came. They couldn't revive him. They took him to the hospital. I went to the hospital. The whole thing happened like this little tiny time capsule. And by the time I was back home again after having said goodbye to him in the hospital, After they told me he he was gone, when I came home and looked at the clock, it had not even been an hour. Not an hour. Then I thought, I need to let people know. Like, immediately. Especially, he had his sons down on Long Island. I needed to call each of them and let them know what had happened right away. They were the first ones that needed to know this. So it was not (laughs) time-wise very long after he had died that I was on the phone making these phone calls and trying to break it to people that Jim had passed away. No wonder I couldn't feel yet. My feelings were just, my brain had Put a wall up right there immediately. Your brain does what it needs to protect you. It's your brain's job to protect you. That's why immediately after your spouse dies, you may not experience that flood of emotion. You may not break down sobbing. You may. I mean, in the movies, they all sob, right? (laughs) It may be true for you that you immediately cried. For me, it wasn't true. My brain did what it needed to to protect me, to get me through the first day and a half. And the way it did that was to just disconnect from my feelings entirely and then slowly let them start leaking back to me so that the second morning that I got up after he had passed away, as soon as I got out of bed to go downstairs to make my coffee, I found myself just completely breaking down and I sat on the top step on the landing and cried for a little bit and then I stood up and continued downstairs to go make a cup of coffee and halfway downstairs, and I don't have a long flight of stairs, this is a normal house, (laughs) halfway downstairs I had to sit down on the steps again and cry some more. And by the time I got to the bottom of the stairs, I had to grab the first chair in the living room, sit down, and again, cry. And by that point, I was able to kind of pull myself together enough to walk into the kitchen and make a cup of coffee. So it was like my brain just began that release and that flood of emotions I questioned my emotions, I would have terrible thoughts, I would wonder, am I relieved that he's dead, am I sad that he's dead, because I still had this filter between me and my emotions, not to mention that I had been out of touch with my emotions for so many years anyway, because I had this diet brain going on. And I would eat down my emotions. I think anyone who's an overeater has issues struggling with their weight. We are all emotional eaters and we check out on our emotions. We detach from our emotions. So now I had this occurrence in my life with Jim passing away that I needed to be in touch with my emotions and man, they were not within easy reach. They were not within easy reach. Eventually, of course, the emotions start to come up and all kinds of emotions, not just that. What we think of is grief. Grief is really clean and beautiful. Grief comes from a place of unconditional, absolute love for that person. But along with grief comes this whole pile of other emotions that we kind of lump into thinking it's part of our grief, and they're not. We need to sort those out and move through them. We feel guilt about a lot of things. Guilt comes no matter what the situation is, no matter whether it was a sudden death or a long-drawn-out illness, Whether you adored your husband, hated your husband, doesn't matter. When your spouse dies, guilt comes into play eventually on some level about something. I've had widows tell me that they have felt incredible guilt the first time that they felt a little bit of joy over something after their spouse passed away. Like they thought they should not be experiencing that kind of joy or happiness, and they felt guilty about it. Of course, there's the more obvious guilt. Um, A lot of widows, when their husbands have passed away after a long, drawn-out illness, immediately start to second-guess everything they did for them before they died. They second-guess all the medical decisions that had been made. They may feel responsible for all those medical decisions, and maybe they were. What's hard to grasp is the reason you feel guilty and the reason you second guess it. That is also coming from a place of deep love for that person. If you didn't love that person, you wouldn't be second guessing everything you did for them. It's because in your heart, you want to know for sure everything you did, every medical decision you made was the right one and that you didn't prolong their suffering in any way, or you didn't let the doctors end their suffering too soon, what we have to understand is we make the best decision we can from our heart at that time. And then you just have to trust it. You have to trust that the decision you made at that time was the best decision you could have made at that time with what you knew at that time what you were experiencing at that moment you couldn't be some seer looking into the future to know to do anything differently so know that every decision you made was made out of love for that person and was the right thing even if it wasn't made out of love maybe you were frustrated and made a snap judgment you still made the judgment you had to make at that moment based on the information you knew in that moment. So feeling any kind of guilt associated with what happened in the preceding days, weeks, months maybe even is a misplaced emotion. That guilt is not going to do anything for you. You have to let go of that guilt and understand the guilt is love. And let yourself know, I mean, you can feel the guilt, but acknowledge in your head, I'm feeling this because I so love them. I want them to be in the better place now. So guilt associated with joy, guilt associated with any way that you're moving on with your life. We do not have to wrap ourselves up in constant drama as a widow. We might think that would be appropriate, but does it move us forward? Our spouses would want us to move forward, right? So just know, if you are a new widow, that immediate flood of emotions, there is nothing wrong with you. And however you feel is the right way for you to feel. And there are no stages of grief. (laughs) I go crazy with that because your emotions will be all over the place. And there's no set order of what you're going to feel, what you're going to move through, whether you're going to be angry or not. It's different for every single one of us. If you find another widow to talk to, you're going to find out that it's a little different for her. A lot of the things are the same. And the biggest thing that's the same is our complete understanding of what the other one is going through. Because I don't think anybody can really have a good grasp of the experience of having your spouse pass away unless they've gone through it. That's why I question I question therapists who have not experienced losing their spouse, treating widows who have doing grief counseling without having experienced that level of grief. I've lost my mother. I've lost my father. I've lost a good friend. I've gone through all of those deaths. None of them were the same experience as losing my spouse. Difficult, yes. Sad, yes. Not the same. That's just like if I felt equipped to help a mother whose child has just died. Oh, I could identify with a lot of the pain and be supportive, but I don't know that I would fully understand the pain that goes with that kind of loss. Fortunately, I haven't experienced that myself. I can only imagine how painful that is. What I do know as a widow is just what I've told you whatever you feel is okay and you get a pass on all of it that's my most important message that I got after the first few days of being widowed was hey you get a widow's past in your first year as a widow and I've extended it I want that widow past here in my second year too maybe when I get to my third year I may still claim that I have a pass which means you get to do whatever it is you need to do And nobody gets to question it. If you feel the need to dance naked in your living room and with the drapes open, you get a pass. Because that's how you're processing your grief. And you get to do that. The second year of widowhood is difficult. I've been told over and over the second year is harder than the first not what I wanted to hear when I was in my first year as a widow. I don't know that it's harder. I think it's hard in a different way than the first year was hard. I also think that the second year is when your heart begins to understand that they are not coming back. And I say your heart because your head immediately knows. My head knew that Jim had died. I saw him die. He was cremated. I scattered his ashes. My head knew Jim was not coming home again. My heart did not know that. My heart would leap every time I saw his car outside the window parked in the driveway because it would think, oh, Jim's home. Something deep inside of me still expected that he would walk through the door things that I did not want to move in the house, changed the order of pictures that I maybe didn't even like. They were paintings that he had acquired that we put on the walls, but I wouldn't take them down because there was still something inside of me that said, Jim's going to come in and see that I've taken this down and be upset with me. It's <laughs> ridiculous as it sounds, but I think... It's true for the longest time, we expect them on some level to walk back in the door. We think it matters if we change things around in the house that they're going to come back in and be upset with us. And somewhere in the second year, that begins to unravel a little bit. And I won't say that I still don't have something that does that. It's been a year and a half since Jim passed away. And on some level, there are certain things that I go to do or change, and I have that moment of hesitation. But it does become more real to you in the second year. They're not coming back. They're not coming back, and you need to move your life forward. That's a tough realization. That is the level of difficulty that the second year brings. Well I've completely gone off on a ramble here which is what I promised at the outset (laughs) was this ramble and I think in my head I had wanted to talk about widow moments more because I still have widow moments. My first description of my big widow moment was with my snowblower. And I won't go through that whole story again, but go back and listen to episode, I think it's episode three, and you will find that widow moment where I just lost it. It was the moment that I wanted to sit down in the middle of the icy snow and just go into the ugly cry, you know? <laughs> I still have little moments. I had one when I was stuck out in California. On a recent episode, I've told you that when Southwest Airlines had all their servers crash across the entire country for a day, I was stranded in California for an extra three days. And I went down to where my daughter was so she could put me up on her love seat in her living room while I was stranded before I got a hotel room. But we were out at dinner one evening at um, a Mexican restaurant in Pleasanton she always takes me to a Mexican restaurant because she knows that the Mexican food in New York does not compare to the Mexican food in California. I'm sorry, it doesn't New York. I know you. everybody tells me, oh, go try this Mexican restaurant. It's fantastic. I try it. It's bland. It's not good. Or it's overly hot. They think they've got to burn the skin off the roof of your mouth to be good Mexican food. I don't know. It's just it's a culture thing. And I grew up in California where I was used to that really good California style Mexican food. Anyway, so my daughter took me to the Mexican restaurant because I wanted some uh, chili riano and some enchiladas and it was a beautiful restaurant. We sat in an outside table. The little downtown area of Pleasanton is just California gorgeous. And as I looked up from where I was sitting at the table, I could see this kind of southwestern arch as you walk onto their patio and the buildings across the street behind it. And it was just, it was beautiful. And I picked up my phone to take a picture of it. And then I realized the reason I was taking a picture of it was to show Jim. I stopped. I mean, I didn't take the picture. I just picked up the cell phone and realized what I was doing. And I set the cell phone back down and thought, oh, who am I going to show it to? I'm going to take this picture. Who am I going to show it to? And in my heart, the answer was I wanted to show Jim. So I still kind of fell into that widow moment where my brain had disconnected it kind of forgot that he wasn't here anymore even though it's been this long now of course i've talked about having those moments where you want to run home and tell your spouse you know jim and i used to share all the time one of us would be out at barnes noble and come across something really interesting and come home and tell the other one about it and i still have so many of those moments when i'm out and about and i want to come home and tell Jim or I want to show something to Jim. I have that loss since still. I haven't found the replacement for that for myself and I need to. I need to find the one person that I share everything with. Not that I need to find a replacement for Jim or a romantic interest in any way. No, I just need to find an outlet for that. I need to find my anchor that I'm going to share everything with. And they need to understand that I have the need to share everything with them. (laughs) Whether that be a member of your family, one of your kids, maybe a sibling, an aunt, find a friend, somebody. That will begin to make that shift. But we're still going to have those widow moments. It's whether you hit a point where you are trying to make a decision and you can't make that decision alone. You're struggling because it's a decision that the two of you would have made before in the past. Find that touchstone friend. Get vulnerable. Tell them exactly what it is you need. People keep asking us what we need and we say, we're fine, we're fine. As you start to identify these needs, find someone to share them with. Grab your best friend and say, you know what I really need? I really need someone to be there with me when I have to make major decisions. If I'm going to try to decide how to take care of a house repair, who I'm going to hire to do it, I need someone that I can bounce this off of because I used to be able to bounce it off of my spouse and now I no longer have that. Or I need somebody that I can come home and show all my travel pictures to. I know it's going to bore you to death. The last thing you want to do is sit and look at all my vacation pictures. But if I go somewhere, I want to come home and show someone. And you're going to be that person because I don't have my spouse to share it with anymore. And you will be surprised. Friends will step up to step into those places. You know, Maybe they're saying, what do you need? Thinking I'll make you a casserole. But you can say, you know what I really need is this kind of emotional support. And ask for it. Don't say you're fine. Uh, You can say you're fine at first. (laughs) If you're still in the fog. When I was in the fog, I didn't even know that these were the things I needed. These are the things that I have learned over a year and a half of widowhood that I need. And I've identified them because I have the mind of a life coach. And I have coached other widows through these things. So I began recognizing these are the needs that we really have that we need to have filled initially yeah bring me a coffee cake drop off a casserole that's love and that helps but you will come to the point that you need to identify which of your emotional needs you need filled and find someone to step up for that it's going to make your recovery from this so much easier and by recovery I don't mean you recover from the grief we don't recover from the grief the grief comes with us It's the love we had for that person and there's no reason to let that go. The recovery is finding our path in life again, moving our life forward and not becoming the hermit in the chair in our living room. That's the recovery that I talk about. That's the recovery that I help with. So thank you for letting me ramble through all this today. I hope it touches someone, someone hears one of the things I've covered that they connect with, and it helps just knowing someone else out there understands and feels that way, because that is truly what it's all about. Go into iTunes, leave me a review, I would love for you to give me five stars, Three stars, whatever you think that the podcast is worth. And leave a few words for me. Share your impressions with others. That's what's going to help support this podcast. In the meantime, go find a little joy in every day of your life. Don't feel guilty about that. You need to experience joy. And I'll talk to you again next week.